0: Part 10 of Sermon on the Mount. This one is judgment and discernment. sermon. Um, this one is where Jesus moves on to this subject of judgment. This is uh, probably one that people would want to know about. This is one that people ask quite often. Am I able to judge? Am I able to judge others? We'll get into that. But we've gone through the previous subjects related to this. Um more related to our internal spiritual attitude. So we've looked at giving, we've looked at prayer, we've looked at fasting, materialism uh, and worry. But now Jesus says and speaks into the way we think and treat others. As in many verses in the Bible, this one is either misunderstood or abused greatly. But we will learn that not judging others in context of what Jesus speaks about is in fact limited in its scope and I'll tell you why it's limited and how uh, we come about how judgment works among Christians we will learn that we cannot judge a brother or sister without making sure we're first using the same measure of judgment against ourselves what you'll find is a very clever way that Jesus teaches that first he says don't judge and look at yourself first and you go but if I look at myself first I'm a mess and so I can't judge that person because I'm in mess I'm a state and so that's what jesus wants you to know it's what jesus was doing on purpose it wasn't by accident uh, that he is trying to show you that jesus theme so far in the sermon on the mount is about being careful not to be the hypocrite don't be the hypocrite not to rush the judgment requires the fruit of the spirit to be active and working in our own lives and we'll also see that all of this has to come with balance as the saying goes, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because we're, we don't judge. There's a very careful way that this scripture, the way Jesus taught, has been carefully constructed so that we can do it in the proper and right way. Jesus teaches us that there's a limit to how much uh, we work on uh, hardening hearts and discern when it's time to leave those people alone to the conviction of their position. So there's a limitation in how far we go also with people, uh, even as much as we want them to be saved, uh, at the point we know their hearts hearts are fully hardened, uh, Jesus says, step back. Uh, Don't waste the treasure of Scripture on people who are not willing, purposefully, purposefully willing not to receive it. So, let's have a look. What does it say? What does it say? Let's look at the first verse, first two verses. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With this command, Jesus warns against passing judgment upon others, because when we do so, we'll be judged in a similar manner. Very simple to understand, that's what Jesus says in the text. And so whilst Jesus does not prohibit the judgment of others, he requires that our judgment be completely fair. And that we only judge others by a standard we would also like to be judged by. Jesus says that God will measure to us according to the same measure we use for others. So we are to be generous, loving, seeking forgiveness and showing forgiveness. We should only judge another's behaviour when we are mindful of the fact that we ourselves will be judged. And we should consider how we how we would want to be judged. There's not much more you can get from that just by what it says. It's very clear and very direct. Uh, imagine for a second that you will be facing the king of kings. And on the day, he says, because you judged that person in a way that was hypocritical, I'm going to use that same measure to judge you. And what do you think will happen? You will fail. We will fail. So he goes on. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus says in these verses how we are generally far more tolerant to our own sin than we are to the sin of others. Jesus indicates that the one with the plank in his or her eye, own eye would not immediately be aware of it. He's blind, we are blind to our obvious flaws. Jesus then says that to correct the fault of someone else when we ourselves have the same or even greater fault means we are guilty of the accusation of being a hypocrite. And so whilst Jesus didn't say that it was wrong for us to help our brother with the speck in his eye, it's it's a better thing first to deal with the plank in our own eye. Can I take one example of what this looks like? When you're on an aeroplane, if you've been on one, you know what they say during the announcement with the gas mask, the oxygen mask rather? Help yourself first. Sort yourself out and then help others. Same principle. Isn't it amazing? There's like there's some... There's some Christian deep theology on a plane. It's amazing in the announcement. So when I I hear that, I remember, oh yeah, help yourself first. Make sure you're sorted and then help others. Be sure, and in this case, be sure not to be the hypocrite. He goes on, verse six, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, then uh, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, Jesus says we must discern. What is right and good? When is right and good to continue to preach the gospel to someone? You should be careful that precious things, especially the gospel, uh, are not given to those who will receive them with contempt. Uh, In the same way we talked about, probably a couple of months ago, we talked about how uh, if we go so far with the gospel that we're making people angry, then we stop because they're not receiving it in the right spirit. They're not gonna receive it in the right spirit. And listen, there's, there is no uh, rule that says you stop entirely. There may be a period where you need to step back and say, they're just not in the right place to receive this or continue to receive uh, scripture that I'm giving them. Maybe there's a time just to stop, just to hold back and see what God does. And so Jesus says that our pearls are the precious gospel, man. You, Confuse those who do not believe, who are blinded to the truth. And this, he says, may only expose the gospel to the ridicule of a hardened heart. So just to be very careful uh, in how, we, how far we go with, the, with particular people uh, and uh, how, we, how far we share the gospel, because there is a limit. And we don't want to waste our time, want to use it well and efficiently uh, to share the gospel. Okay, let's look at meaning and application. Uh, This is, I thought this would be a shorter one, I'm honest. There's only six verses. It didn't turn out that way. (laughs) Uh, Because there's a lot, and it's great. I I love looking at it, and I love just learning to see what God had uh, for us today, and for me, most certainly, when I was writing it and preparing for it. Um, But these, let's start with this. These verses on judgment. They've often been used out of context and and mostly by people who are not Christian. Mostly by people who know very little about the Bible itself. I think in our society today, we have this need to look for acceptance in everything. We have this need that we want to... We want everything to obey us in that we want, we want to be whoever we want to be. And we want the things that don't accept it to accept it. We want to make our dreams a reality. So anything that gets in our way, it should change and it should allow me to have my dreams. We see this so much with the Bible. We see so much with Christianity uh, that people want the Bible to change its mind. It wants scripture to be something else. It doesn't want judgment. People don't want the responsibility of choice when they choose to not have God in their lives. So scripture is twisted. Do not judge. Ah. But the, doesn't the Bible say, as non-Christians will say to you, do not judge? It, it does. But can we have a conversation? Because this is it's not what it actually means in terms of me talking to you as a non-Christian. Let me say this, if you've chosen not to be with God, you've chosen the judgment that God has already ordained in not choosing him, which is to go to hell. I don't need to judge you because God has judged you already and you've made that choice to be with him. Not my choice, I haven't made it for you, you have made it yourself. And so what we have is people twisting scripture, even have churches They're accepting all sorts of strange and unusual teaching and twisted teaching of the Bible. The Bible is not for that. It is a standard that cannot be changed. It is a standard that we cannot reach ourselves. So many people use these verses in a general context of it applying to all people. In other words, that we should not make judgments about those who do not believe. The problem with that view is that at no point do believers and non-believers, ever, if you've ever read the Bible, ever get put together when God makes statements of judgment about each group. Even as I've said probably a couple of weeks ago when I was at another church, I said, when you face God as Christians, you're going to face the mercy seat. When you face God as a non-Christian, you face the judgment seat. It's in Revelation. There's a big difference between the two. Judgment seat, you're coming, you're not believing and what's going to happen is there's going to be a stack of books and pages about your life and about how you've just not lived to God. And God's going to read them all out to you, we're supposing because that's the imagery. Then the mercy seat, guess what, your life is still going to be read out to you. Your life is still going to be read out to you as Christians and God's going to say, these are all the things against you. These are all the things that make you a sinner, that make you condemned to hell. believe in Jesus and so when God looks at us on the mercy seat he sees Jesus and not us and he can't condemn Jesus because Jesus is God and Jesus is perfect and he's saved people who believe and trust in him at no point does God ever confuse believers and non-believers Romans 8 verses 1 to 4 says this therefore there is now no condemnation another one i thought i'd choose another verse that gets twisted out of context there's now no no condemnation you can't condemn me says it in the bible that's true if you're in christ for those who are in christ jesus because through christ jesus the lord the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh god did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is just one such example of those uh, who live to the flesh as opposed to living in the spirit. So instead it is a challenge to the Christian and the way the Christian practices fellowship among believers. As Christians, for, for those believers, for us, uh, that are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that he died on the cross. We believe that he rose again. That our lives have been changed by the act of Jesus' fulfillment of the law and his death and his resurrection. We believe that because we read the Bible and God changed us through his Holy Spirit. And so we look at it and go, my life is worthless compared to him who has saved it. So we recognize that our salvation can only be found in Jesus as the perfecter of faith. Hebrews 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer perfecter of faith. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the standard has been set. But now the high bar, this high standard of the law, has also been fulfilled by Jesus, not by us. So we are in Christ who, who has fulfilled the requirement of the law, and we are now covered in his righteousness because of him. So, with all that, and they should be 101s to you guys, they should be accepted defaults of the Christian faith. With all that accepted, we can start to understand how do not judge works. And when you read the line, do not judge, it is in the context of the people he's talking to. The Pharisees' version of judgment was, in order to make one's self uh, self more righteous, that to be more judgmental of others. Here, Jesus rebukes that thinking. He says, that does not make you more righteous. And so what they're doing is, in effect, stepping on other people to boost themselves. Nothing more than than filling yourself with pride. Nothing more than filling yourself with with a nice feeling about stepping on other people. So I believe, and also you can see built into this statement, especially in regards to the same measure that is used against ourselves, is that those who he was speaking to was using this form of judgment on others, and so, using a different standard for themselves. What Jesus calls us to, to is the standard by which we have been accepted as forgiven sinners only through Jesus Christ. So, how does judgment work? How, do, how, does it, how does it work in judging brothers and sisters? How do we do that or not do that in terms of a Christian fellowship? If we judge, if we do judge other brothers and sisters, it's all right. (laughs) I've forgotten many times, by the way, I've forgotten so many times to turn my phone off so many times. I'll tell you what though, Angela, good teaching point, by the way, what you're thinking in your mind right now, judging anyone you yeah, judging her <laughs> that came in just the right time i'm telling you that was just the timing is impeccable but if we do judge other brothers and sisters we do it to the standard by which we have also been judged we first have been found guilty by the law so we're guilty regardless of how well you try and keep it you're guilty we're all guilty And our sentence is death and eternity in hell. That is the standard. That's set. It's there. But for those who believe and accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have been judged through Christ alone. Not because we're any good, not because we can offer something, not because, hey, when we get there and God is is judging us and Jesus is right there and he's going to do all the work for us, we're going to go, yeah, but it's me and Jesus, right? We did this together. No, you didn't. No, 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 no. He did nothing. Jesus did everything that was required to bring you to salvation and to save all of us. So we've been judged through Christ alone to be forgiven and the sentence not only commuted as in reduced, but made entirely innocent. You are innocent of your crime against breaking God's holy law. Does it make sense? It seems not right that we can stand here and say, I'm made entirely innocent by the blood of Jesus. So now the question is, and I'm sure you might be asking it, (coughs) excuse me, can we judge others? This is is always a big question in these verses. Uh, People always want to know, and we've had this many, 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 many years ago. Uh, when the view was, then, that we could. Now we can, and I'm going to tell you how you can do it. It can only be done only by the standard by which you wish to be judged. In this case, be careful. As it applies to believers in Christ, that, that standard is God's standard. So when you become a believer... You believe that God's standard is at the most highest and the most perfect. And that we can never attain. So, again, have I answered the question, can we judge others based on that statement? No, you cannot. If you think, if we think, even for a second... That we could judge other brothers and sisters through the lens of perfection. This is, this is the standard. That you're entirely without sin, entirely innocent. Entirely without any fault at all. That we can judge them through the lens of perfection. As if to be perfectly just ourselves. Then we are one of two things. Either we've not understood the cross and the law that has been met and fulfilled in Christ on our behalf and for our sin, or we're living in a delusional state where we think that applying one standard to someone else and another standard to ourselves is okay. It's not okay. Jesus says it's not okay. In either case, we're living against or in contrary to the very principles that salvation and forgiveness is only found in Jesus Christ. I found this list and I think it's quite helpful. We break this command when we think of the worst of others. We break this command when we only speak to others of their faults. We break this command when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. We break this command when we judge the hidden motive of others, others. We break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in their same circumstance. We break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. This is a powerful motivation for us to be generous with love, generous with forgiveness and goodness to others. If we want more of these things from God, the fruit of the Spirit, we should give more of them to others. And I need to be clear, others is still brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way. A whole different issue when you've got to approach someone who doesn't believe. And even then, it's not necessarily about judgment, but we're we're going to tell them that they're bringing judgment on themselves by not believing in Jesus. Jesus Jesus showed this form of rash and unjust judgment in the disciples when they condemned the woman who came to anoint the feet of Jesus with oil, Matthew 26, 7 to 13, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head, and as he, was reclining, as he was reclining at the table, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant, uh, that's like angry, that's like, why this waste, they asked, this perfume could have been sold at a higher price than the money given to the poor, there's a bit of piousness going on there, we could have given it to the poor. We could have helped them. Hang on, guys. You're talking to Jesus. You're talking to God on earth. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? I Love that. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial truly i tell you what wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world what she has done will also been told in memory of her that's how important jesus treated this moment they were rash they didn't think they didn't wait for jesus to have that teachable moment so they got in there started the judgment started judging This is probably the plank in the eye of the disciples And I think it's probably something we can all say At some point, have had and have and will have and In fact the plank in this case I believe is found in scripture We can see this in uh, James 1 19 to 21 My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak And slow to become angry Same indignant, same, same thing Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I thought she was wasting something. Jesus said she had done a good work that would always be remembered. They had a rash, harsh, unjust judgment. So what happens then? Is it that we just don't do anything? Is it that we just say, well, we we can't judge? So we just, we let things slide. We let things go because Jesus said, don't judge. Verse five of our reading says, you hypocrite first, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You need to notice the words being used here. It's not, don't do it. It's not, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye, your sister's eye. Make sure you're set right with God. Make sure you are right with him. And then help your brother. Help your sister. So instead of judgment, it's help. It's to bring help to them. Notice he doesn't say, once you remove the plank, Judge your brother and sister all you want because you're great. You're fantastic. Look how awesome you are. And yeah, have a go at them. Put them down. He doesn't say that, does he? I thought this picture might be helpful. I like the bird on the plank, by the way. The plank has been there so long that the, the bird can sit. Uh, which is, is just that I saw the picture, and it is just, ah, and then just, hang on, have a look at yourself. It says, help your brother and sister. The difference is that in helping our brother or sister in this way, we're no longer attempting to be their judge. You see the difference? It's not that we don't It's not about whether we do or don't judge now, it's that we don't judge because there's another way to do it. There's another way to help each other. There's another way to make sure that we each aren't falling off the path, that we're not wandering off somewhere else. Instead, the speck and the log analogy is to give us an alternative approach. But it's without making sin completely admissible, completely uh, without um, discernment. So Jesus calls for this balance in approach. We're acknowledging the reality of sin, submitting to it ourselves, serving our brother by helping them. So those specks and logs, whatever they are, specks or logs, are sinful. They're sinful things that are operating in our lives. And so we should discern that not everything we see in others must be accepted. But we should be careful. We should be gracious. We should be loving and approach him with humility and grace, not arrogance. Be very, very careful. And so we come to this uh, subject of the sermon in verse six, the last verse. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw away your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Here, Jesus covers the issue of being discerning. So that we're not so permissive that all things should pass by without being checked. So whilst we're not to be judgmental, it it doesn't mean everything's okay. Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, and, and said, there's things that are not okay, guys. There's things that are not right. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, 24, this appears twice, by the way, the, the, this statement. I have the right to do anything you say. So obviously, they're, they're saying this in the letter to him, right? But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Uh, this in particular was, was sexual impurity. This, was, this particular text was about sexual impurity. And they, they, they kind of had this really fudged way of looking at grace, at looking at, at how they can, well, we can operate however we want. We can do anything, right? Because Jesus, no, you can't, because it's not honoring him. It's not doing what he's commanded you to do. You still need to live honorably. You still need to live right to him. And so we're told not to give precious things to those who receive them with contempt. We're told be careful how we share the gospel. Be careful how how much time we invest in certain people. Maybe it's time to stop for certain people as hard as that may be and I know people that have specifically met with people over many many years in part yes they're friends and they know each other but also they want to talk to them about the gospel but I've known some people to be doing that for six, seven, eight years and nothing's changed so at some point we surely have to ask ourselves Am I asking them to make the choice, or am I trying to make the choice for them? The fact that this follows helping some with the speck in their eye would suggest that it can still apply to Christians. Many commentators say uh, this is about non-believers, and I think it can be. I think it can be. But it is still in the same context as believers. Brothers, it mentions in this text. But I wonder if this is really about two things. One, how we are to discern if sin is active and dominant in another brother or sister. And two, how far we go with them to remove the speck. In all cases, it is about discernment and the use of our time. And the extent to which we go to share the gospel. In Jewish culture, dogs were rarely pets they were c- compared to today i mean there there's no way they'd be kept as pets but uh, I mean we almost worship pets right we worship dogs and cats and all sorts i mean it's it's incredible the level of support that pets get right and the outcry the outpouring of of dogs being treated but Look, I'm not I'm not saying that it's okay to treat dogs and cats badly or any animal badly. I'm just saying, guys, there's there's a there's a chain. There's an order of things that God has set. Human beings. Whilst we're not the be-all and end all, God has put us in charge of, of, of this, of all what goes on here, at least for a time. Yet pets seem to get elevated above us. We seem to, and I think probably the figures I haven't got them might bear this out. I think we give more to these causes than we do to human causes. I mean, that alone must tell us that there's just that society is messed up. I was watching a film yesterday uh, for research purposes, actually, uh, because of uh, a a ministry. Well, you would know, because we've been talking about it. Um, uh, ministry, we're looking to start uh, with looking at worldview. Uh, so we watch a film, and we explore the worldview of a film, and then we look at what that film is trying to say about society and the world. And then we look at biblical Christian worldview, and we compare, and we say, what, what are they trying to emulate or to fudge or to copy and to fool people into? Uh, and then what is a Christian... Worldview from the Bible. How does that sit against it? So I was watching this film and quite finished it because it's such a long film uh, and it's one of the Superman films. Um, which one is it now? I don't want to get the wrong one. It's the one we're going to watch. And it's completely gone. There's says about 100 films of Superman, isn't there? Man of Steel. Thank you. Yes, Man of Steel. And uh, there's very much a lot of imagery uh, in this film of Jesus, um, and, it, and it's and it's incredibly sad to watch. But we do this, don't we? we uh, we've, I've seen in this film, this is what kind of prompted me to, to share with you. There's a scene, I don't want to spoil it, but it's not really a significant scene. Superman's dad, or oh, his earthly dad, as it were, during a tornado, he runs off. And he goes and saves or tries to save some people in a car. So he runs in and the tornado is coming to him. He doesn't want Clark, Superman, he's a young man, to come out to show that he's got powers. So he says, no, no, stay there. Don't, because if people see you've got special powers, then no, you're not. So he goes, gets the, gets the person out, the little girl I think it was. She runs off. He's about to go. And then what he hears, a bark. There's a dog in the car. know what he does now listen i love dogs but i'm telling you if a tornado is coming towards me and there's a dog in a car i'm sorry dog i'm going i'm leaving it is incredible though the picture that it paints of us of what we do we put so much into things that really we should be concentrating on something else more on people that are persecuted for their faith, who are who are going out and don't care about whether they get killed tomorrow. People who, who can't live on their own, who can't survive on the money that they have. But, you know, give it to the dogs. But as Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> don't give it to the dogs. It says dogs were symbols of immorality, barbarism, vulgarity and ignorance. Pigs were unclean according to God's law and they were also scavenged for food. So they were, they were dirty creatures. They were things that, that weren't really cared for in that way. And so to be called a dog or a pig was the greatest insult in Jesus' culture. They considered them the lowest of all things. But still he does not hesitate to compare those who reject him as Israel's Messiah, to dogs and pigs. But here, the emphasis is not on other people. It's not on other people, but on God's people. Ultimately, it comes back to them, and then back, to, obviously back to God. This verse is, is a warning to Christians, don't waste time, don't invite harassment from those who are obviously hostile, and are never, at this point, maybe in particular, are going to accept the gospel. And so there's a difference between speaking to the willing versus wasting time on the hard heart. The So Jesus warns us about this, uh, warns us about is that simply believing that this is just about convincing someone without ceasing, just keep badgering them as if that will bring into the kingdom, isn't actually an act of love towards them. In fact, in our verses, it says you're throwing Pearls. To swine, pearls of scripture, treasure, but throwing it at things that don't want it. Instead, it's wasting God-given resources on those who will never change, and that's that's hard to hear because we want to keep helping people. We certainly want people to come to Jesus, but maybe maybe sometimes our absence might help that. Maybe sometimes our stepping back might help them to be convicted. Who knows? God knows all these things. Matthew 15, 8 to 14 says these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth is not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth is that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Listen, it's okay because Jesus said it's okay. At some point where the heart is so hard that someone is just not going to receive what you're going to say about the gospel. Just leave them. Walk away. Now, it may be that you come back to them. But we're not going to waste our time. If people are obviously, visibly, purposefully hard-hearted, discern. Use your time well. Use scripture. Use your gospel evangelism well. Target, as it were. Acts 19, verse 9 says, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He just walked away. He's gone. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. That, that's it. He walked away. He did what Jesus did. He, he said, well, that, this, when they publicly, and this is quite extreme, by the way, when they, when they publicly malign the way, when they take the mickey out of, the way, leave them, walk away. Jesus did not make this statement to discourage us, however, from sharing the gospel. previously in the very in this very sermon, Jesus told us to let our light shine before the world. That is true. but Jesus said, this is a call to discernment and to encourage us to look for prepared hearts that are ready to receive. When we find such open hearts, we can then trust that God has already been working upon them and is still working in them. So we come to that principle of this subject of judgment and discernment. As we look after one another and open ourselves to accountability to God, so we should be careful in how we practice that accountability among each other. Whilst we don't stand in judgment of those in Christ, when we see the speck in someone else's eye, we should look at ourselves first. We should ask ourselves, am I able to approach my brother or sister with a motive that has God's best interest at the centre of it? Or is my motive because I just don't like it? Because here's what happens, I'm going to tell you the trap you fall into when it's not about a motive that you think, actually, I think that's what God would want for them. Here's what happens when we go down the other road. Everything becomes about rule keeping. Everything becomes legalism. And that road is going to go nowhere. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and the law is now complete. I no longer live to the law, says Paul, I live to the Spirit. My flesh still still wants to obey the law, it still wants to, it still wants, it still, it still tries, it still tries to earn. Paul says, But my spirit, which is what I've got through Jesus Christ, that serves him. The desire to serve him. Not because I did well, not because I kept this or that. When it's in God's best interest to make sure your brother and sister doesn't slide, doesn't start to fall away. That will serve to help them. And we do it in a lovingly helpful way to remove the sin, help them with the sin that hinders hinders them in their walk with God. And we do that as we've learned to reject sin that hinders us. Colossians 3.16 Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So above all, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly before anything else. But as we treasure that which dwells within us, so we need to be careful and discerning about how we use it. When sharing of the precious pearls of the word would have no more impact and the heart is beyond change. Then we say... Lord, I give it to you. We might say that at that point, the speck has become a plank. Maybe the speck has become a plank in someone's eye. And they're clearly embracing the plank. So much so, as we saw in our picture, that a bird is nesting on it. And then I could go into about nesting in your hair. Martin Luther made a comment about, you can't do anything about the birds flying in the air, but you can stop them nesting in your head, in your hair, he says. So it's the believer's moment to not stay around and to listen to them blaspheme God. Step away. Don't need to hear that. We We don't want to wallow in the sin in the mud with them. It will not clean them up and it will only stick to us more. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Be gracious Don't let the unrepentant heart capture us also. Know when it's time to leave them to their choice, as hard as that may be. Here's an alternative. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for yourself in terms of your walk with God. Sort the plank out. Remain close to him. And pray for them. That they may come close to him. Jeremiah 17.9-10. Says the heart is deceitful. Above all things. And beyond cure. Who can understand it? I the Lord search the heart. And examine the mind. To reward each person. According to their conduct. According to what their deeds deserve. It's up to God church. It's up to God. When we've run out of ideas, when we've run out of clever ways of telling people the gospel, give it to God. Let him do what he needs to do, but be open and ready for when he calls you back. Maybe there's a time you're going to need to be called back to help them. Be ready, church. Let's pray and then we'll uh, worship together.